Welcome to Sparkplug, where we talk to smart people working at the intersection of business and technology. Brought to you by Snowshoe, making mobile locations smarter. To kick off the second season of Sparkplug, we're excited today to feature part one of a two-part episode with Kate Trotter of Insider Trends. She shares with us the future of retail, trends that she's spotting in the future, and how retailers can make best use of data. Kate Trotter, Head of Trends at Insider Trends, is a frequent retail speaker who delivers presentations to global audiences. She has also launched two successful businesses and has been named a Future 100 and Startup 100 Entrepreneur. Insider Trends delivers omnichannel strategy to large retailers based on data-driven insights. The team has worked with a number of notable brands and retailers, including Walmart, Converse, Facebook, Ikea, among many other notable retail brands. So welcome to Sparkplug, Kate. Thank you very much. What an intro. Well, we are so happy to have you on the show. And I wondered if you could give us a little thumbnail sketch of your work in retail and your journey to where you are today. Oh, yeah. So my journey, it started, yeah, when I decided I wanted to be a trend scout. And at that point, I looked to see who was interesting to work for in London. And I went off, did some research into who was doing what around the world. And I came across some businesses offering retail safaris. So I think there was one in Miami, there was another in Tokyo, but no one really owning that in London. And so I thought that could be my thing. I'm basically placed in one of the world's best cities for it. I, I fell on my feet with that choice. So we started offering these retail safaris and other trend tours. And over the years, we've expanded into essentially now offering all sorts of services that help retailers understand what is coming next in the future of retail and what to do with it. So it can very much still be a retail safari. We now offer those from New York to Tokyo, but we also run innovation programs. Um, we consult with people, we help shape their concepts, we sense check their concepts and everything in between. That's incredible, Kate. <laughs> We were going to ask you about retail safaris. Can you tell us a little bit more about these safaris and talk us through the experience of them? Sure. We talk about them as being a strategy session in the field. In its simplest form, it's a tour of interesting shops, let's say. But you are doing that tour with either me or one of my expert consultant colleagues who either know the businesses that we're talking about or have researched everything that we can find about that business. And we don't just talk through what they're doing. We talk through, well, how what we're experiencing in the store is relevant to that client and their brief. All of our safaris are designed on a bespoke basis. So we'll find out what's important to that client, what questions and challenges they have, and then we will design a day or two days of different experiences that show various solutions to that problem. And then we raise a series of 
questions for the client to think about how they would remix that concept. So you can't solve everything in a day, but the idea is that over the course of the day, you might visit, say, 15 stores, and each one will show at least one clue about the future of retail for that client. We, we kind of use the stores that we visit as examples of what the client can do. But I think there's something really powerful about being in a space, experiencing it. I think when I deliver presentations, a lot of people say, oh, well, that's all very well. You know, of course, that brand can do it or that's never going to happen. But actually, when you're standing in a space that you can see is working that other people are buying from, it's so much more compelling. We get other people to come in and talk about their take on the future retail as well. So it's all quite varied and interesting. Right. You said that it's a strategy session in the field. Can you take us on kind of a virtual tour? Imagine we're walking with you. What possibilities do you think we might see in a set of three to five stores? Gosh, I wish I could whisk you around the world. That's what I'd want to do with you now and with this uh, imaginary client. So thinking about loyalty, I'm actually thinking of a few spaces that we've seen in Seoul. So Hyundai, for instance, have a series of libraries that can only be accessed by people who have the Hyundai credit card. Because in Seoul, they're like, I think they have a department store, there's a financial arm, that they don't just make cards. So they have these fantastic, a cooking library that's actually a cooking space. They have a design library and they have a travel library. Um, they're all in different parts of the city, but you can only go into those if you have the Hyundai credit card. We've seen versions of this concept in China as well, where if you have the department store app, you are allowed into an exclusive art gallery to see yeah, the latest exhibition. So in terms of loyalty, I think we're going to see more spaces offer exclusive VIP spaces that can only be accessed by people who are either members or people who have actually maybe spent a lot with the brand or have maybe interacted with that brand. So one of our views on loyalty is that it's not actually going to be so much about spend going forward, but more about spending time with a brand or interacting with a brand more. Another example that we love is Matches Fashion in London, which again embodies a, a lot of different things that we talk about when we talk about the future of retail. So when you walk into this space, it feels like a beautiful townhouse. You can see some of the products, but it's not packed to the brim with products. Actually, one of the floors just, it almost feels like an art gallery for fashion. Two of the other floors have personal shopping spaces on them. But what makes it really special is that the staff are equipped with tablets that essentially let the staff access everything that customers have browsed or bought online before they've arrived at the store. So they probably know the customer's shoe size, dress size, color preferences, maybe fabric preferences, and they can use all of that information to 
put together a curated collection of items that that customer is going to want. So that that is our view of where omni-channel shopping is going. It's actually about knowing the customer better. So those are two examples. Another one is the the Nike app, which I guess taps in more taps more into omni-channel, but this idea that yeah, the, the Nike app can be used to shop and discover Nike items when you're away from the store, but when you come into the store, it has a whole series of extra functions. So we also have a, a strong belief that really omni-channel should be about constantly learning about the customer. So if a customer tells a brand something about them online, when they go into the store, the brand should be able to access that to use it to improve that experience in the store. And probably while the customer is in the store, they're going to share other useful bits of information that should then be used to optimize the online journey. So it becomes this kind of virtuous circle that things Mm. are reinforcing each other. One thing that we run into with smaller retailers, especially, is a question of cost. We go to a small retail store that sells shoes for women, for example, we're working with some right now. And we say, hey, add a foot scanner. And then you can use this with your online purchases as well. They'll say, well, how much is this going to cost us? So I'm curious if there is kind of a, a cost equation balance that, that, that you would advise people. What's the proper investment? We also, for smaller businesses, we often talk about the the poor man's version, which we don't mean in an insulting way. We mean it. Normally, when you see a big brand doing something, there is a clever, quick, dirty way you can execute like 80% of that experience or get 80% of the value for 20% of the cost. So thinking about an independent shoe store, you could just have one of those um, wooden measuring systems, ask your customer to stand on it, put it in their CRM profile and use that to optimize what they see later on when they go online. Like it doesn't have to be a really fancy self-scanning system or scanning thing. Yeah, the technology behind the scenes does need to link up, but really it can be done very simply. Right, this does remind me of the software development journey that that there are all these online tools, but often the most effective tool is a set of post-it notes that you write your next upcoming tasks, you put them on a board and you do those things. So often what you're saying is retailers can find a way to meet their customer where they're at for not a huge spend. Yeah, totally. And so Kate, I'm curious, looking back about any specific trends you've highlighted in the past that have come true. Do you have any prophecies that you're most proud of? Let me have a think. How long have you got? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's impressive. (laughs) Yeah, well, um, I don't know. It's hard to pick one. I'll try and pick one or two for you. Something that we call fast and slow. I guess it has come true, but also it's still coming true because as with a lot of trends, things always evolve. They're never fully complete. So the whole idea about fast and slow is about simply saying that there are lots of mediocre moments in retail uh, because we've always assumed that they're part of the retail experience, but now smart brands are questioning why certain things have to be there. So these are things such as queuing 
in a standard queue or maybe carrying your items around a city after you buy them. And there are two ways that stores or retailers can design them out. One way is to speed things up or to make them frictionless or essentially so fast they could almost become invisible. So when we think about queuing, a virtual queue would take away that pain and the boredom of queuing. But the other way to improve on these mediocre experiences is to slow down the experience, essentially to make an experience so enjoyable that a customer would want to give their time to something. So queuing isn't the best example with this, but if you think about how Disney, say, do queues, they make it extremely entertaining. So actually part of your experience of being in Disney World is actually enjoying being in the queue, maybe. (laughs) We can think about how retail experiences have become richer and more enjoyable in terms of having more in common perhaps with visiting an art gallery or visiting a fashion show where there are entertaining things to do and discover in the store. Yeah, so we've been talking about fast and slow for years. Another one I think is vertical integration. I'm not going to say I'm the only person who thought that, but it's interesting to see that Nike, for instance, so focused on controlling every aspect of yeah, their production and their retailing. And another one might be what we call micro stores. We've obviously seen Nordstrom open their Nordstrom local concept. So those are spaces that are 2% of the size of the giant store. But what's incredible about that, one of their co-presidents said that people, when people shop with them offline and online, they those customers spend five times more and the profit per customer doubles. We've been advising people that they can have their big stores as the big experiential hubs, but set up tiny micro stores to act as these really lovely service points. If a store is 2% of the size, you can probably afford to have 50 times as many, or rather you can have 50 micro stores for the cost of one big one. So you can then expand the number of customers that you're reaching in a region. And when you overlay digital on that, you can get, not only do you get more customers, but you get double the amount of profit for each of those customers. So yeah, so I think Nordstrom was were the people who really brought that to light. But We started talking about that and it's been interesting to see IKEA do this, you know, IKEA who you would have thought would be wedded to the big box format, actually Mm -hmm. moving into city centres in this way. Um, Bloomingdale's now doing something similar. So that's, that's one I've been proud to see roll out. But there's more that can be done. I'm actually surprised that one isn't um, expanding faster, but. have to be patient. Kate, thank you for those three great examples of trends that you've spotted and helped to facilitate. But as we look at recent trends, what's happened during COVID? Can you unpack the COVID era for us a little bit? Well, there's two things, actually. I want to say that innovation has really needed to show that it can pay for itself. So I think businesses have been a lot harsher about 
experimenting. But in some ways, retailers have been open to experimenting in other ways. I think as long as a new concept can show that it will pay for itself and that it's relevant to people who are shopping more online, of course, those are the things, those are the innovations that we've seen take off massively. And there's a few others, a few other people that we were recommending to the world, but thinking this is going to go slowly. But actually, during the pandemic, they just exploded. And that's, it's brilliant. So what has been your focus over the past year and a half during the pandemic? We've been offering a lot of or helping retailers with a lot of quick wins. So these are things that are typically, yeah, not big long-term projects, but small innovations that they can quickly integrate and quickly see a return from. Well, coming out of COVID, what are you the most excited about, Kate, whether that's technology trends or otherwise? I think the thing I'm most excited about, I've been seeing recently that retail is coming to the customer in a new way. We're talking about it as a new definition of customer centricity, almost, that the customer almost doesn't have to do anything if they don't want to. I think the trigger for this idea was just seeing this explosion of super fast delivery companies in, well, not just the UK, but Europe. And I'm sure there are a number rolling out in America at this point as well. But these are these companies where you know, you can tap an app and have a chap handing you a basket of groceries at your front door 15 minutes later. So that is like this whole new level of convenience. But we're also noticing that there are other concepts like this that are bringing retail to the customer. That's one thing I'm excited about. The other is possibly in the further future, but I think brand experiences are going to eventually wrap themselves around the consumer. Alexander McQueen, he has a a line called McHugh, which is, I think, for younger people, like it's more it's his hipper, more innovative brand, or rather the company's hipper brand. Um, but their latest products have chips in them. You can scan those with your phone or tap your phone on the chip. It will tell you about the product, but it will also act as a jumping off point to the McHugh community where you can trade your products. So actually, I know like the stories where the majority of sales are happening at the moment, and that's definitely not going to change overnight, but we can start to see a future where actually the product is the center of the brand ecosystem. And actually, when you're asking me about loyalty, I think this is also a new take on on loyalty too. There's a company called Verifier who are working with a series of brands putting chips in their products. So there's a bike that has one of their chips in it. What that means is that whenever you ride your bike, your smartphone will track where you are And potentially, loyalty points can be awarded to the people who ride their bikes most often, or they ride them the furthest, or they ride them to the most interesting places. And when you start to think about that, I think we we get to a place where actually 
engagement with brands can be far richer, more meaningful and far more frequent than it is when we think about the store as being the center of that ecosystem. It's fascinating. Your perspectives are so really illuminating. This concludes part one of our two-part episode with Kate Trotter. Tune in next week to hear more from Kate Trotter and Insider Trends. Thanks for listening today to the Spark Plug Podcast and brought to you by Snowshoe, snow.sh for smarter mobile location. Spark Plug is a wholly owned property of Snowshoe. All content, copyright, 2021, Spark Plug Media.